I was thinking during that, uh, that hymn, I was remembering when I was a kid who didn't know the Lord and did not attend church, and I'd turn on the television even then and watch those Billy Graham crusades, and you'd often hear George Beverly Shea sing that song, wouldn't you? Does that bring back memories for some of you? The truth is, the greatest, listen, the greatest thing in life is Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes we get so wrapped up in other things, we forget that. I'm hoping this month we can be reminded of that reality, of that truth that it's all about Him. And He is the one that makes life special. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be here today. Uh, Monisa and I were able to worship in different churches. Uh, this summer had some great experiences, but there's no place like home. And we're really thankful for being here. We had a great vacation. Trust you've had a good summer. And I want to... Take a moment and say thank you to the Ministerial and Staff Relations Committee for granting me some additional time off this summer as part of uh, the recognition of my 30 years as your pastor. We were able to spend a lot of time with family. That's mostly what we did uh, both here in, in Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, a lot of time with our family, with our children and grandchildren. Made two trips to Kentucky seeing uh, my mother who turned 81 last month and is doing pretty good. Starting to have some memory issues but, but not doing too bad and Monisa's parents, who shortly will turn 90 and 88, both in a nursing home, and uh, so it was good to be with them. And uh, our siblings and nieces and nephews and cousins and and some friends from the past. In fact, when we were in Louisville, I was able to spend about half a day with my father. You know, my father, as you know, has been dead 30 years. Spent that time with his 79-year-old first cousin. They grew up together. Had not seen him in about 15 years. Uh, the last time was when I preached his mother's funeral, and that was really, really enjoyable to catch up with him and, and his family. And, you know, family is a big part of who, who we are. It's a big part of who I am. And on the screen are some photographs uh, from the summer. Most of them are family pictures because that's really what we, we focused on. And, in fact, I have a life plan. A couple of years ago I sat down uh, after reading a book and, and, and really spent some time working on a life plan for the rest of my life, and there's eight priorities in it, and one of those eight priorities is the extended family, because in our culture, with all the travel and, and the disconnect and all that goes on, sometimes uh, we focus on those who are immediately in front of us and lose connection with others, and so I just said, I'm going to redouble my efforts, and that was part of what we did this summer, and as uh, many of you know, uh, one of the big events for us this summer was the, the birth of our fourth grandchild, Stephen David Hogg, uh, born Tuesday this week down in uh, Columbia, and uh, we drove down to Columbia Tuesday, spent some time there, and that's him with Monisa and me. And the next day, Stephen sent me a photograph. We start them early. That's, uh, <laughs> that's sort of a, a tradition in our family. Our son, Stephen, was born uh, 32 years ago in Sumter. And uh, that's, I took a, a U.K. basketball to the hospital, put it in the bassinet with him, took a picture, because I was determined raising my boy in this pagan country, <laughs> I was not going to allow him to be corrupted by those other colors. And so I, I'm, I'm honest with you, I was intentional about indoctrinating him a few, a few months later after that, that photograph we dressed him, and the next next slides, we dressed him in his U.K. sweatsuit and basketball and got his picture formally made, and that uh, that uh, is in our house. 
proudly displayed. Now, our first grandson was born eight years ago, Liam, and uh, we started him too. And and I, I didn't have time to pull all the photographs together because Jacqueline, I've got her in the Kentucky cheerleading outfit, and you know, Lillian, we we just you know, um, and and our 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 new grandson, our granddaughter. Oh, it's just just our tradition, and um, it's part of who I am. Now, those of you who've known me for a while know I'm a UK fan. Go Big Blue, go Cats. And um, it shapes me in a lot of ways. In fact, I spend extra money every two years to have a personalized license plate on my car that says KY Cats. And, and I mean, some of you spend money to go to those Clemson football games and South Carolina baseball games. I don't know why, but you do. And I'm kidding, I get it, I understand it. Because those things, you know, those things, we care, they shape us, right? They're part of who we are, part of our identity. I sometimes jokingly say I'm a missionary for Jesus in Big Blue living here in South Carolina. It's just, you know, those things are important to us. And, uh, and, and family's important to me and has shaped me. And yet, uh, there, there's one thing that shapes who I am more than anything else. And it's what, what that hymn was talking about. It's Jesus. And there's, a, there's an experience I had with him when I was a teenager that radically changed who I was. How I thought about myself, how I viewed life and what my purpose would be. I, I would not be here. I would not be doing what I'm doing. I would not be the man I am if it was not for that encounter with Jesus Christ when I was a teenager. Because as, as you know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. When he came into my life, things changed. And so this month, in this sermon series called Real ID, I want us to think about who we really are. Who you really are as a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that say about who you and I really are? It's important for us to understand that because too often I'm convinced that many of us really don't get it. Really don't understand what, what it means to be a follower of Christ. How that, how that gives us identity. How that shapes how we see ourselves and who we are and what we're about in life, how we live and how we go about making decisions. We need to be reminded of what Scripture teaches. See, where you find your identity, your sense of being, of, of who you are, how you think about yourself and how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself, it shapes Everything in life. Your sense of identity shapes how you view yourself and how you live. And so I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Colossians. Today we're going to introduce the topic and then really start drilling down over the next uh, three weeks. I want us to spend most of our time in the book of Colossians looking at uh, verses that, that talk about Jesus and who we are in relation to Him so we can understand who we really are. And, and my goal my goal is for you, no matter, no matter how long you've been a Christian, whether, whether you're a new believer or, or you've been saved for decades, for you to gain a better understanding of who you are in Christ, of your identity and what that means for your life. 
Now, Colossians is, written, is a letter that Paul wrote to, to believers in a, in a church in the city of Colossae, which is located in modern Turkey. And I want you to notice part of what he says in chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery he's talking about is that God was going to bring salvation through Christ, through the Messiah, not only to the Jews but to the Gentiles, to everyone, no matter their race, no matter their economic standing, no matter their background, no matter their religious heritage, that, that in Christ salvation was coming, was available to everyone. That was the mystery. That, that prior to Jesus, people fully failed to grasp. And so he says, in, in this mystery, now these, these, these believers in Colossae were mostly Gentiles. Some were Jews. Most were Gentiles who had become followers of Christ. And he, and he says, God has revealed this mystery, this truth about salvation, and you need to understand in verse 27 that the, the, the riches of the glory that awaits you. He says, you need to understand that because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is glory in your future. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will be glorified, but you are going to share in that glory. There is glory waiting for you. And what you fail to understand is how incredibly wealthy that glory really is. Whatever your status now, <laughs> then is glorious. It's incredible. It's beyond, as the Scripture says, your ability to imagine. And so he uses this word of, of rich. Think of the richest people on the planet. And their riches, their wealth pales in comparison to the glory. Now, we're not just talking about financial things. We're talking about better things. He says the glory that is out there in your future is so incredible. The only word he can use to, to, to describe it is wealth, is riches. It's incredible because of Jesus Christ. And so he says that hope for what's out there in the future is Christ in you. Why is that glory possible? Why is that glory in your future? It's because, listen, Jesus Christ is in you. When you receive Christ as your Lord, when you repent of your sin and commit yourself to him to be his follower, he comes and takes up residence within your life and Christ is in you, and because he's in you as a believer, then your future is going to be filled with glory. And here's the thing. Our true understanding of who we are, our true sense of self-identity starts there. Starts with the reality that Jesus is in me and that when you accepted Christ, Jesus entered your life and he is in you. And you'll never understand, you'll never grasp the fullness of who you are as a follower of Christ until you own the fact that Jesus is in you and everything, everything begins there. That's why that, that great song, I'd rather have Jesus, is true. 
everything wonderful in life originates from him. Never forget that. Now, let me show you on the screen a couple of verses that outside of Colossians, then we'll come back to try to drive this point home a little bit. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Look here. He said, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, when you, listen to this, when you gave your life to Jesus spiritually, you died. Even though Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, the moment you gave your life to Christ, it is as though spiritually you climbed on that cross. You died to yourself. You died with him, to the old person. And notice what he says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives where? See, I died. And now Jesus lives in me. And so he goes on to say, and the life, notice this, and the life which I now live in the flesh, even though I am alive, See, spiritually, the old spiritual me, the old man died when I gave my heart to Christ, crucified with Jesus. Now, I'm still alive physically, but because I'm living physically in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live a different life because spiritually, I'm somebody totally different. It's not just a, a change of thinking. It's not just a change of perspective. It's a change in reality. It's a change in who you are. Christ is in you. And the life you live in the flesh is lived for him. Because the old you and all of its wishes and desires became submitted to his lordship. Here's another verse, Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. He said, when we were dead in our, in our transgressions, before you became a follower of Jesus, sin made you spiritually dead. But when you gave your life to Christ, what happened? You came alive. Made us alive together with Christ. It's the idea that Jesus' resurrection ensures victory and life. And so when you, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, not only are you spiritually crucified, the old man crucified and buried, you... You, through the resurrection of Christ, because of your faith in Him, experience life. And it's not just your eternal life in the future, not just the resurrected body in the future, but it's that new spiritual life. You come alive on the inside today. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when He said, you must be born again. It's a spiritual birth. And so now even though we live in the flesh, we're living as new creatures, or as Paul says in Corinthians, new creations in Christ Jesus because He's in us everything. Everything changes and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now notice, Christ is in us, but at the end of that verse, we're in him. Now Christ is, is, is living within us through his Holy Spirit, but we have a spiritual union with him. And all of the benefits, all of the spiritual blessings we enjoy are a result of that spiritual union of us being in him because he lives within us. And here's the thing. You can't have one without the other. If Christ is in you, then you are spiritually united with him. Can't have one without the other. And everything changes. All, all the blessings, everything comes from that union, from that spiritual encounter that is to define who we are. One last verse, then we'll get to Colossians. John 15, 4. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, abide in me, and I in you. Do you see it? You stay in me, and I'm in you. 
Because just like a branch can't produce any fruit unless it's attached to the vine, to the tree, you can't do anything unless you're attached to me. You can't find forgiveness. You can't find heaven. You cannot find eternal life. You, you cannot find a, a change of, 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 of personhood of who you are in the deepest core of your being apart from that union of abiding in Christ and Christ being in you. It all starts there. We, we can read and teach all the how-tos and, and, and we can have books of doctrine and know the truth, but apart from that union with him, him in you, and you spiritually united with him, none of it works. Everything begins there. Now, back to Colossians. Look at chapter 3 for just a moment. Verse 3. You're starting to see how, how this teaching just repeats itself. It's just constant. Chapter 3, verse 3. He said, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I'm physically alive. You see my physical body. I see your physical body. You see the, the things that I do that are motivated by my relationship with Christ. I see the things that you do that are motivated by your relationship with Christ. But the truth is the spiritual me and the spiritual you is unseen. It's hidden. It's not visible. We know there's a God. We encounter him. We experience him. We see what he does. But we don't see him with the human eye, do we? In the same way, that spiritual you, that real you, that shapes everything. It's not visible the way this physical body is, but as Jesus in John 3, when he talked about the new birth, said, you see the, you see the, the results of it. It's like the wind that blows. You, you can't see the wind, but you see what it does. You feel what it does. You can't see the Spirit of God, but you feel what he does. You see what he does. You can't see the spiritual you, but you know what it does. It's hidden with Christ in God. See, everything, everything, everything is because of that spiritual union of Jesus being in you through faith, and therefore you're not, you are united with him. You are in him. That's your spiritual reality. And that's a, a beautiful thing. You've died, the old you, but there's somebody new. And, 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 the world doesn't see it. Now, they, they see what you do, but they don't see the real you. Do you get that? The world cannot look into your heart. You, your friends who don't know Jesus, they can't look into your heart and into your soul and see the real you. And sometimes, sometimes we forget to remember who we really are. And, and it becomes sort of like, well, Jesus is part of our life. Religion's part of my life. Christianity's part of my life. Instead of understanding that Jesus is my life. And everything grows out of that. Everything is built on that foundation. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 3. He said, when Christ, who is our life, there it is. I'd rather have Jesus than anything when Christ, who is our life. Can, can you stand and say, Jesus is my reason for living? 
That's your real identity as a follower of Christ. When he's revealed, talking about the second coming, because people don't see Jesus now, many people don't believe in Jesus, but the second coming, the Bible says, every eye will behold him and every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge he's real. Folks, a day's coming when there will be no doubt about who he is. And notice what he says. This Jesus, who is your life, on that day at the second coming, when he's revealed and everyone sees him and everyone knows who he is, you also will be what? (laughs) There'll be no doubt about who you are on that day either. Because you will be revealed with him in glory. You will stand with him in glory. You will share on that day of glory. Because you'll be there with the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. When I, when I go out in public, I get to share in the glory of being with my beautiful wife. You, you're, you have a union with Christ if you know Jesus Christ. And on that day, everybody will know who you are. Don't forget in the meantime who you are. Don't let the world tell you you're not who you are. (laughs) It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful day. In uh, Colossians 1, verse 2, verse 4, verse 12, Let's go ahead and run through those verses real quick. Go ahead and show the next slide. Verse 4. Now look at the words in the yellow. Now look at the next slide, verse 12. Three times in that one chapter he called all of us what? Saints. I'm not going to be negative or critical, but sometimes because of the history of Catholicism naming people saints, we have this image that, that saints are these incredibly talented and dedicated, godly, and holy people who've performed miracles, and and I'm a nobody. And and because we see ourselves as nobody, and we, we look at ourselves in the mirror, we say, I can't do that, and I can't be that, and I can't change. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I can't read Scripture and understand it. I can't pray. I can't talk to people about Jesus. I can't. I can't. We, 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 we see ourselves as something other than who we really are. And here's the thing. The way you see yourself is going to shape how you live. And if you see yourself as less than one who has Christ living in him or her, if you see yourself as less than a saint, one who belongs to God, because that's what a saint is, God's possession, See, when you understand who you are, there is the power of the Holy Spirit then to live a sanctified life, to live a godly life, to live a different life. But as long as you keep telling yourself, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, you never will. You can't. So who are you? Who are you? When you look in that mirror, who do you see staring back at you? See, when, when, when you and I forget who we are and we, 
we ignore who we really are and we downplay who we really are. You know what happens? Real quick, here's three things that happen. Number one, when you don't get your identity from Jesus, you get it from other places. Can y'all help me preach for a moment, okay? Let's let's go throw back to a bygone era. Y'all gonna sort of say, Amen, you're gonna you're gonna help me preach, say some stuff. When 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 Christians don't get their identity from Jesus, where do a lot of people who go to church get their sense of who they are from? Where does it come from? Tell me, church. Where, just tell me some stuff. Huh? TV? Who what else? The world? Where, where do we get our sense of who we are? What what do we get it from sometimes? It's a substitute. Family, work, career, titles, Facebook. <laughs> That'll be discouraging sometimes. Money, accomplishment, achievement, possessions, Kentucky basketball, Clemson football, Carolina baseball, right? I mean, if we're not careful, all these other things become a substitute to tell us who we are, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. And, and, and we forget that, that the foundation, the starting place is we are followers of Christ. He is in us. We are united with him. He is our life. We are his followers, his possession. We are saints. That's who we are. And if you get your sense of self-worth and identity from being in Christ and Christ in you, guess what? You're not so easily knocked over when everything out there in the world tries to tell you you're somebody different because you know who you are. And the person who doesn't know who they are will try everything only to end up empty. The person who doesn't know who they are will be so easily swayed and shaped by other people and other forces. Here's the second thing when we ignore it, downplay who we really are. The second thing that happens is our walk with Jesus, our spiritual growth is stunted, it's hindered. It's hard to really grow a lot if you don't think you can. It's hard to really grow in Christ if you don't have confidence in your connection with Christ. And the third thing that happens is you end up looking a whole lot more like the world and the people in it than you do like Jesus because they end up influencing you more than he does. Out in Los Angeles, there's a, there's a priest. He has a, he has a ministry to, to gang members. He works with several physicians who have been trained in the laser technology for removing tattoos. Now, folks, that's painful. I've talked to people who've had that done. It hurts. It burns. It's not fun to have a, ta have a tattoo removed. But there are these gang members that want a new future, a new life. And that gang tattoo marks them. It identifies them as a member of that gang. And, and it, it creates risk for them because on the street, there's danger if they have that tattoo from an opposing gang. 
It holds them back emotionally from moving forward because they're branded, and every time they see that, they, they, that's who I am. That's who I was. I don't know if I can ever change. And sometimes they go for an interview to get a job, and guess what happens? <laughs> they don't get the job. And so because they want a new future. They want a better life. They want those tattoos removed. And so he started this ministry with these doctors, removing those tattoos for free. It's just a gift. It's a ministry. Do you know they have a waiting list of over 1,000 gang members wanting the tattoos off? It's, it's as though God is saying to you, you are not who you were. Why do you you keep telling yourself you're that person? By the Holy Spirit, God has, without pain to you, but pain to himself on the cross, cleansed and washed you, forgiven you, and made you someone new. And you ought to be able to stand and sing with enthusiasm that song, I'd rather have Jesus. Because he's in you wherever you go. He's in you if you you love him and if you're following him and if you've given your life to him. He's in you and you are united with him, in him. So I want you to stand up for a moment. I want you to do something. Just go ahead and stand up real quickly, please. And I, I want you just to, to focus your heart and your eyes on Jesus. And, and if you, you're a follower of Christ, you have Jesus in your heart and he lives within you, you've given your life to him, I want you to say out loud right now, Christ is in me. Go ahead. Christ is in me. Say it again. Christ is in me. Say it again. Christ is in me. And then say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I am a saint. I am a saint. Now let's do all three. Christ is in me. I am in Christ. I am a saint. One more time. Christ is in me. I am in Christ. I am a saint. Do you believe that? Then own it. And when you go to work tomorrow, and college kids, when you go back to the campus in a week or two, High school kids, when you get back to the campus in a couple of weeks, remember who you are. And don't you let your friends, don't you let your co-workers, don't you let your neighbors. And by the way, if you go home to somebody who doesn't love Jesus, don't you let that person who doesn't love Jesus tell you who you are. You know because of Christ who you are. And never let go of that. So let's, let's do some business with Jesus. Let's get on our face and our knees before Jesus and tell him how thankful we are and how much we love him. And if there's sin we need to confess and repent of, let's do that. If, if there's decisions we need to make, let's do that. If you're here right now listening to me and you've never given your life to Jesus and he's not in you and you're not in him because you're not his follower, come to where pastors will be standing and say, right now, pastor, I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus to forgive me, save me. I want a relationship with him. If you're not a member of this church, 
You come and join this church and say you want to follow Christ and help us take Jesus to the people of this city. So let's sing together. You come right now.